This podcast was made possible thanks to Drama Victoria. You're listening to The Aside, a podcast for drama teachers and students. I'm Nick Waxman, and today we're talking with Pete Davidson all about puppets. Pete Davidson is a performer, drama and theatre educator. He has his own creative puppetry studio, One Orange Sock, and he produces a podcast all about puppets called Talking Sock. You can find links to those in the episode description. We sat down to talk through this beginner's guide to puppetry. Without any further ado, I bring you Pete Davidson. Welcome to the podcast, Pete Davidson. Hi, Nick. Thanks. Thanks. It's nice to be here. Thank you so much for giving us your time. Uh, We're going to jump in. We're talking puppetry. So question number one, what is a puppet or isn't a puppet? Okay, so simply put, a puppet is any object that is inanimate made animated by a human. Uh, So really, we're looking at a whole spectrum of anything that you pick up and you try and give a personality to or make it breathe or make it giggle. Uh, That is a puppet. Uh, What isn't a puppet? I guess a human. Other than that, if it doesn't have a a physical lifeblood running through it all the time normally, um, it has the potential to be a puppet. Cool. So what can a puppet be made from? There is a tradition of marionettes in which they're made from wood, but often they're also made from, uh, from paper mache. Really anything can be a material to create a puppet with. Uh, obviously there's the, the, the standard sock puppet. Uh, you, can, you can turn your hand into a physical puppet. You can turn your hand with a piece of a pipe cleaner and a couple of eyes stuck to the top of it and make it into a puppet. You can make a puppet from gardening materials, from foam and fleece, it really depends on the style of puppetry that you're, you're invested in and what character you're trying to produce because the character should always be what informs the material. My latest puppet is called Grumble and he's a gardener. So what I've been trying to do is make everything of Grumble from gardening materials like hose pipe, trellis, uh, mesh that is made for, um, you know, for, for gardening materials and and hessian sacks and that kind of stuff. So he actually has and embodies the texture of what his purpose is. Very cool. Alrighty. Uh, so this, I think, is a loaded question or a tricky one, but where did or when did puppets begin? <laughs> there is, I think what we noticed is that as with theatre, it has origins all over the world from ancient times. If we look at sort of east-west, um, the Japanese have a beautiful relationship with the object and they they embody the idea of spirits sort of being invested in everything that they own or in their houses and stuff like that and that created a a type of puppetry called bonraku which is generally a three-person tandem uh, puppet so the head is operated by one puppeteer the body is operated by a second and the legs a third and over time they would spend uh, 10 years mastering each component over 30 years uh, each so it's a master and apprentice kind of puppetry. So bonraku um, is definitely what's in Japan. You then have your traditional forms of theater in China. So you've got the street parades, the dragons, um, anything that is sort of moving in their culture is very much puppetry in itself, but maybe not labeled as such. Then you've got the Western forms of puppetry. So obviously everyone knows Sesame Street and that was made by an amazing gentleman called Jim Henson 
but uh, before that, in the European style of puppetry and marionettes was sort of the, um, anything on strings was sort of the norm. Uh, we have hand puppets, we have sock puppets. Where that actually all began probably goes to the same question as where drama began. As soon as someone picks up something and, and wanted to entertain someone with an object, whether or not it was because it was anthropomorphic or whatever, it, 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 was, it was begun, it was started. Amazing. Uh, so why is puppetry or why are puppets or why are they sometimes referred to as theater of the impossible? That's a really good question because they allow, I think in the same way that special effects allow us to stretch our imaginations in film. I think puppetry is a, a tool in which our, we can do the same in, in theater. And if you think about before the digital revolution, before we had special effects, we use puppets um, to create those, those sorts of fantasy. So we, we wanted to put animals on stage and we didn't want to use circus animals or live animals. So we used puppets and, uh, you know, I think it came out of a need for, for theater to be able to reach those limits of what a human can actually do. Uh, it, it, you can make a puppet, you know, traverse into the universe. You can make musical notation speak to you. You can make, uh, pretty much anything happen. And particularly with like black light puppetry, where it's in sort of a dreamscape, you're basically able to create absolute new realities um, in much the same way that I think Macatree and, and special effects theater does that already. So sock puppets, marionettes, full body puppets, giant football oval sized puppets. I mean, what kind of puppets are there? Yeah. Well, you've mentioned some, uh, I think, yeah, Mary, I think marionettes are very much the, uh, the, the sort of the traditional style of puppets. Puppets. Uh, uh, look, I've got a puppet behind me that is a Muppet monster. She's pink and fluffy. I've got a puppet behind me who is a, a Wahoo ball that's been turned into a moon using, uh, uh, what do you call it? Like gap filler uh, as, a, as a skin. I've got puppets downstairs that are, you know, angels made out of a bit of fabric and a, and a couple of pieces of, of hard foam and, and paper mache as I said before, with materials, anything can be a puppet, but the types of puppets that are there, we consider the, the sort of genres as object theater. So that is object theater is just using everyday objects and turning them into sort of uh, living or entities. Uh, we have marionettes, which is that European style, mostly um, started off in Prague in Russia. Shadow theater is done, is done all over the world, but I guess the most sort of visually spectacular, I think is from Indonesia. Uh, we have our, and, and there's a whole subgenre of Muppets. So there's your hand and rod puppet. There's your uh, bag puppet with a glove. There's your single glove puppet. There's your two rod puppet. Uh, the Muppet world has kind of expanded so much that there's just so many different <laughs> versions of what a puppet could be over there. And then we have our, our, our hand puppets. So the ones that you can hold in a single hand. So a glove puppet, uh, which may not necessarily speak or talk, but I guess the best example could be the Sooty Show or that's probably actually a bit too old for our listeners, crikey. Uh, yeah, I, there's just so many. I, I really couldn't list them all, but you've done a good job of listing just a few. Is there anything that you actually particularly want to know about? Well, I guess that kind of inspires a follow-up question. Elmo is a puppet mm. with a stick and a glove, um, using your terminology there, but is Big Bird a puppet? Definitely. Big Bird has a hand for a beak. So even though he is a costume puppet, the puppeteer is actually, it's a very intense contraption and there's actually a monitor inside there. There's a fan and um, yeah, Carol Spinney, who is the original uh, 
Big Bird kind of worked with the the builders at Sesame Street to make that puppet it, what it needs to be to, to success uh, successfully function. And his hand still operates the beak and the mouth, and there's a, a trigger that helps to operate the eyes and etc. So he's definitely a puppet, even though he's in a full costume. But even so, even if you're in a costume, um, it is puppetry because that costume doesn't really exist without the person inside it. And so again, you know, if that thing can be left behind and left to be inanimate, then when the person picks it up, that's, that's the relationship that they create as puppeteer. It's that it becomes animate with that person inside it. Yeah. I think your description or uh, definition of a puppet earlier in the episode really gives me clarity about what a puppet is and isn't in that world. That idea of breathing life into something that doesn't usually live, Mm. I think is a, is a really clear example of, of a puppet. So why use puppets? Why do we have these giant football size oval puppets or tiny finger puppets on the edge of our little kids' fingers? Uh, why use puppets? Why are they theatrically important? Yeah, I think it comes back to that question about sort of special effects. We need puppetry. We need props. We need costume to allow us as audiences to sort of immerse ourselves in the reality of whatever show we're trying to create. And I think what I love about puppetry is that it is egoless. And so it requires the puppeteer to not be the actor and not be the center of attention. And to me, it's sort of a true form of theater because what you're doing is you're actually giving off yourself and that whole idea of, Oh, pick me, pick me. I'm the actor. I want to do this job. I want to play this character. You're embodying that into a, a, an, an object, an animate object in front of you or behind you or above you. And if you can actually separate your essence of character from yourself and push it and breathe it into a, a, a completely dead object, then you're creating a new reality for the puppet, um, for the puppet to then have life for the audience. And so you're almost creating a new level of experience for your audiences. I remember when I saw Stormboy at, at the Melbourne theater company uh, last year, and I saw them perform with pelicans and pelicans were just these 3d printed uh, kind of contraptions on wheels the beautiful moment that I still resonate with is that at one point uh, a leading character, a pelican dies. And just for a moment, the puppeteer puts the character down, the pelican down, and it, and it becomes a dead object, walks over to the character who is in love with this pelican and strokes this boy's face and then leaves the stage. And so what you actually have is a separation of the puppet itself and its soul. And the puppeteer is definitely the soul of the puppet. So if you're able to do that on a stage, you create this beautiful emotional connection between the audience and that object. And I think, why do we have puppets? It's kind of like, why do we have Toy Story? Why is Toy Story a film? Because we absolutely create relationships with the objects and things around us. There's no question of that. Beautiful. So we've got what Lion King made famous Julie Tamor for using um, puppets, War Horse hugely popular as you just mentioned storm boy um i know there's a whole bunch of theater for young people that engages with puppets mm. uh, but which theater styles generally use puppets oh i guess it's kind of the postmodern style stuff um mostly and you're looking obviously you've mentioned a lot of different large-scale theatrical shows um i think circusry now is definitely moving towards puppets because live animals is not kosher and i don't think it should be uh, so I think circus performers definitely use it. Uh, street performers, I think any kind of um, theatre of the people or theatre of the oppressed, so definitely Boal uses puppetry a lot. Uh, and I, I would say that anything that moves into the realm of the fantastical, so 
anything that involves a dreamscape. I mean, there's been some really dramatic productions that have used puppetry. I remember a production at Belvoir Street Theatre of uh, Holding the Man, and it was uh, it was used to showcase the difference between a human um, in a hospital bed um, from from the point of contact with HIV to the point where they're dying of AIDS and they've actually separated the human character from the stage and then replaced it with a puppet who is this sort of effectively bag of stuff. And you create this really awful sense that a, a person loses their humanness because of certain diseases. So, you know, there's really incredible uses of puppetry in very contemporary styles of theater. Other than that, I would say um, the absurd, uh, yeah, comedy. Obviously, you can see Randy Feltface as a live comedian. I don't really think puppetry has a limit apart from realism. Sensational. Um, beautiful. And we're going to finish with this question. Uh, you've been talking puppets for the last 15 minutes, enthralling, entertaining, passionate. <laughs> and we just want to know, why do you like puppets? Oh, it's very personal for me. I did a couple of productions of Avenue Q uh, and I got to play Princeton uh, and one, it was part of being, you know, the lead role in that production. But for me, <laughs> they gave us a, they gave us a pep talk at the beginning of the rehearsal period about these puppets and they were all insured for $12,000 each or something ridiculous like that. And I was just like, wow, that's a lot of value to place in this kind of thing of stuffing and fleece. And what I realized was, um, that I was able to be more authentically invested in my performance because I was putting everything into that puppet. And there was this great relationship that I was able to build with it. And I think for me, why I love puppetry is I love mask. I think that came first for me. And I think mask and puppetry kind of have a lot of parallels because obviously mask is also inanimate, but it's that, that level of separation of the performer. And so the character comes first rather than the performer. And so I kind of believe it to be sort of a more authentic style of theater, I guess, more, more over than not. Um, I did acting for 20 to 15 years before I, I found puppets. So for me, it also presents a new challenge. And I think, um, yeah, if you can create realities in theater that really separate your audience from their own reality, then I think you're creating some really cutting edge stuff. Beautiful. Well, we've talked puppets in the professional world. Are you happy to do another episode on using puppets in the classroom? Heck yeah, I'd love to. Excellent. Well, thank you for your time today, Pete Davidson. Thanks so much. Please do keep listening to episode two, all about how to introduce puppetry into the classroom. If you would like to find out more about Pete Davidson and the creative puppetry studio One Orange Sock or the podcast Talking Sock, you can find links in the description of this episode. That is all from us at The Aside. If you'd like to suggest an episode or you have a question, please feel free to email us at asidepodcast at outlook.com. We answer a number of emails each week. We also have a load of episodes in the bank, so feel free to go through our list of episodes to find one that piques your interest. Thank you to Eltham College for letting us record here, to Aaron Searle for providing the music, to Drama Victoria for their ongoing support, and of course, thank you for listening. <laughs>